With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Donald escapes, trying to buy himself some time. Fires, end zone, it's caught. Incredible play by Donald. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. And it's the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And right now, all the buzz is surrounding Deshaun Watson down with the Houston Texans. All kinds of stories about how he wants out of Houston. There's rumblings that he may want to go to Miami or perhaps even the New York Jets. We know that Richard Sherman came out and said on Chris Collinsworth's podcast that if he was Deshaun Watson, he would want to get out of there as quickly as possible and come to New York. Armando Salguero from the Miami Herald with a report over the weekend that Deshaun Watson may actually have the Jets at number one on his wish list with the Dolphins coming in at number two. Daniel Jeremiah, Adam Schefter throwing a little fuel on the fire, saying that there's no team that's better positioned for a trade if Deshaun Watson becomes available than the New York Jets. So obviously Jets fans who have been thirsting for something good for quite a long time are really chomping at the bit here. And I wanted to get a perspective from somebody who's on the ground in Houston who really understands the pulse of what's happening with Houston sports and who can competently explain to us what's happening with the Texans and Deshaun Watson and how likely or unlikely it may be that he could wind up a New York Jet. So went out and got the very best. He's the co-host of the A-Team weekdays from 3 to 6 Central on Sports Talk 790 down in Houston, Mr. Adam Clanton. Adam, thanks so much for coming on, man. Scott, it is a pleasure and uh, looking forward to discussing just one of a million fascinating sports topics going on right now in the city of Houston. Now, that's for sure. You guys got your hands full. I was saying before we started recording, the Astros, everybody knows the insanity going on there. James Harden forcing his way to New York. And now we see if another star athlete is able to force his way out of Houston. That, of course, Deshaun Watson, the franchise quarterback for the Houston Texans. So let's start at the beginning of this. Talk to me about Bill O'Brien's ouster, because it seems like everything sort of started there. Yeah, I think if you look at, at that situation from start to finish, and you got to go back to when he was hired in 2014, they had the uh, number one pick in the draft. Uh, they ended up taking Jadavion Clowney, and you saw how the Clowney era ended here in Houston. And that's kind of a precursor to how things would go as Bill O'Brien um, kind of rose to prominence, I guess you could say, at least within the organization, and then eventually fell from, not grace, I don't know what you would call it, but um, if you look at how they handled that Jadavion Clowney situation and how that went down between them, 
then the DeAndre Hopkins deal doesn't surprise you as much, even though it's like one of the top five worst trades, maybe in sports history, if not the NFL. Um, but that's just how his regime was. And that's why I call it. I mean, the guy was a little dictator. Uh, his nickname was Teapot because he would blow a stack and you know start <laughs> screaming at whoever was in the vicinity of him. And, you know, before you know it, that, that grinds on people. That rubs them the wrong way to the point where – um, the power struggle that he initially won with Rick Smith and Brian Gain and, and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if he ended up losing out on a power struggle to Jack Easterby, but I do know that once Jack Easterby came into the uh, organization, Bill O'Brien's uh, time was, was on a ticking clock, if you know what I mean. So um, I don't know how much the, the two have to do with each other. I just know that all of this has been under the watch of exactly one person since it all started, and that's Cal McNair, because from the time that his father passed away and he literally backed into the, the job of being the owner of the Texans, uh, Tommy Boy style, that movie is so <laughs> symbolic on so many different levels with this uh, situation. Uh, it's, been, it's been downhill, and now here we are where we're actually having – we're entertaining a conversation about Deshaun Watson being traded – that in and of itself is insane, in my opinion. I want to get back to Jack Easterby and Cal McNair, obviously, because they are the two key players in this whole drama, other than Deshaun Watson himself. But before we get to them, you mentioned Brian Gain, and he might actually have been the first domino to fall here because when he got thrown out, it seems like that's where Easterby sort of started to rise through the organization. So what happened with Brian Gain? That's a very interesting question because it's probably the, the one um, item with this whole mess that I probably know, and I'm talking about for everybody, know the least about. It was just a very odd uh, coming and going. The guy was on the job for like no time at all. Um, his firing or dismissal or whatever you want to call it was very sudden. And before you knew it, it was he wasn't being replaced and Bill O'Brien was given more power. And I'll, I'll never forget when we found that out. It was a Friday afternoon. Our show is from 3 to 6 p.m. Central. So we happened to be at Minute Maid Park because we would go there once a week to do our show because Jeff Blum, who's the uh, color analyst for the television side for the Astros, would come on with us and it was just better to do that hour-long segment in person. And we found out like right after he walked away because he does he does a th the first hour of our show on days like that so that he can get ready for the TV broadcast. So it was basically between four and five o'clock. We find out about that from that statement that Cal releases. Um, very like odd statement talking about the organization needing to be flatter, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. I, none of us know what that means to this day. Um, and essentially saying we're giving Bill O'Brien even more power than he already had. And all of us that, you know, knew anything about how he did things were immediately just like, great, this is, this is going to get from bad to worse. And sure enough, it did. Um, and I, I'll tell you this, I never saw Bill O'Brien getting fired four games into the season. Um, mainly because I just didn't think that Cal McNair had the cojones to do it. He's just not that guy. Uh, and, and that's just not the way the Texans have ever done anything. They're always firing people they need to fire like two years too late. Um, same with Gary Kubiak, same with Rick Smith. Um, they let David Carr play another season here when they probably should have drafted Vince Young instead of uh, Mario Williams. 
uh, it, just one thing after another with this with this team. So the Brian Gaines situation, um, while it's not unpredictable or really out of the ordinary for this organization, it's still weird to this day. And it's it's almost like a footnote in the grand scheme of things when you look at how everything has unfolded over the past few years. Adam, you said with the Texans, things went from bad to worse. So let's talk about how it went from bad to worse. And the key figure here seems to be, other than Cal McNair, Jack Easterby. You referred to him on your radio show as a youth minister running a football team, which is really a weird visual if you think about it on a lot of levels. So let's break this down. Talk to me about who Jack Easterby is, how he came to power in the Texans organization, and what his role has been in all of this. So Jack Easterby is, and this makes Texans fans just recoil and cringe because it's just so Texans lately. He's a guy that was associated with the New England Patriots. And for whatever reason, if you're associated with the New England Patriots, the Texans are obsessed with you and want to get you into the organization some way, shape, or form. And that's just been their MO for the last few years. We used to make jokes about it with Rick Smith and Gary Kubiak because you felt like it was Broncos South. Well, now it's Patriots South, but except for they don't do the one thing that the Patriots have done well all these years, which is actually win games and have an organization that is responsible for that. And so Jack Easterby's a guy that, you know, if you if you want to believe everything in the first Sports Illustrated expose on the Texans in the last couple of months, because there's been two, uh, not a very flattering picture was painted of a guy who um, – by all accounts, comes off as someone who wants to be there for you and, and counsel you and be nice to you. And, and then in the meantime, he's you know stabbing you in the back to get an organizational, organizational leapfrog to whatever the next position is that he's after. And I, I just he, he strikes me as a weasel. And there's nothing wrong with you know religion and a higher power and you know going to church. I, I grew up doing that. And I'm not I want to I want to make it clear that I'm not insulting that. What I don't like is a guy who comes off as a poor man's Joel Osteen or a rich man's poor, Joel Osteen. I don't know how you look at that guy. Uh, having anything to do with football decisions, like keep the it's like the separation of church and state. We need to have a separation of the youth pastor and the NFL organization because the guy is so woefully underqualified to have anything to do with major decision-making when it comes to one of 32 teams in the, in the National Football League that it, it's just astounding that he not only has the position that he has, but that he seemingly gained power as the brief time he's been there has gone on. We're talking about the Texans coming up on 20 years of existence. And honestly, I have never seen them be more uh, reviled and, and honestly just pathetic at trying to run their organization as they are right now. And it, and it all goes back to this guy has zero business being in and around that building when it, as it pertains to football decisions. So how exactly did he attain all this power? I don't know. I, you know, I could, I can theorize, I can probably point to, you know, the article I, I mentioned and some things that I've heard, but for the most part, I, I just think that Cal McNair because at the end of the day, the buck, the buck stops with him. He's the boss. And it, none of this is happening if he's not allowing it. And that's the most simplistic way to put it. It doesn't really give you a lot of details. But that's really all that needs to be said. Because if you're the owner of the team and someone beneath you is acquiring all this power and it's rubbing everybody the wrong way in the organization, from players to coaches to front office people to 
just regular run-of-the-mill staff that are there every day just trying to make that engine go. And you're not only keeping him around, but doubling down on the fact that you have no intention of, of getting rid of him. Um, I don't know what you expect the, the city and the organization to do other than just start questioning your ability to lead. And I think that's what brings us to where we are the day, today with Deshaun Watson. He doesn't trust the Texans organization. And by that, I mean, he does not trust Cal McNair because Cal McNair is the reason that the first guy he doesn't really trust, Jack Easterby, is still around. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. What is the story with Cal McNair? Because when you talk to people in and around Houston, it seems like nobody who follows the Texans has anything positive to say about him. Tell me a little bit about why he seems to be so reviled in Houston. Um, he is a guy that if you followed the Texans organization from their inception in 1999, when they just, you know, it was, it was Houston 32 that was, you know, the, the name of the franchise until they came up with the nickname, the most unoriginal nickname in sports, the Houston Texans. I mean, my two-year-old could have come up with something better than that. Um, but he's a guy that was there next to Cal McNair every step of the way. If Cal or uh, next to Bob McNair, I should say. If Bob McNair was at a press conference and whoever the GM at the time was, was there, there's Cal sitting next to him. If Bob McNair was at a function or a dinner or a gala, there's Cal next to him. If they were at practice watching over the football field, Cal was with him. He was like his right-hand man, his crony. But the interesting thing about him was, and this has kind of become a running joke, you never heard him talk. You never heard him talk. We would make him a joke that he was a mute because you just didn't even know what his voice sounded like. So when it was determined that after Bob McNair's unfortunate passing, he was going to be the guy to take over. And I, and I believe that Bob and Janice McNair have other children. There are other siblings, but for whatever reason, Cal is the one that, uh, that lucked into this lottery ticket, I guess you would say. Um, we knew that, okay, here, this is it. We're going to start hearing Cal McNair, how he does things, how he, how he, he speaks publicly. And you just really didn't hear it. He released statements instead of having press conferences. And that's before COVID happened and you were doing Zoom meetings. But fast forward to a couple of Fridays ago, and he's at the podium with Nick Casario, who was hired under uh, less than savory per, uh, parameters. Let's just put it that way. He, he's not a guy that uh, I don't think was first on – a lot of people's list in and out of the Texans organization that were tasked with helping them do that, make that higher. He's sitting up there and he's talking. And uh, one of our uh, respected reporters down here, Brian T. Smith of the Houston Chronicle, asked him a question directly about Jack Easterby, used his name, said, this guy is, you know, to everyone else seems toxic. People are telling you they want him fired. Players are saying they don't like him um and, and you know so what does exactly what does he do that makes him so invaluable as employee to keep him around and cal goes off on this like tangent about the ice bucket challenge for als back in like 2014 2015 whatever that was you know the ice bucket challenge mm -hmm. he goes off on this long extended uh hey brian I i've known you for a long time i remember when the ice bucket challenge was going around going around it's a charitable uh, raise awareness, raise money thing people were doing. He referred to it like it was the coronavirus. It was going around. It was a fad on Facebook. Like it was just so odd. And that's what he talked about for like a solid 30 seconds before he even attempted to address Brian's question 
about Jack Easterby, and he never really answered the question. So that's who Cal McNair is because we have such a small sample size. To me, he's an NFL owner who only got the gig because, like I said, he backed into it when his father passed away. He's he's Tommy Callahan, and I'd be surprised if the guy can walk and chew gum at the same time because every time he opens his mouth, he embarrasses himself and the organization. I will say, though, Tommy Callahan owning an NFL team could be a really good sequel to Tommy Boy, couldn't it? Well, and, you know, Tommy Callahan had some redeeming qualities. He put up with David Spade, um, and inevitably he got the job done. You can't say the same for Cal McNair right now. That's for sure, and that's a hurdle that Nick Casario is going to have to overcome. So let's talk about him for a second. He was brought in as the GM, and this seemed to show more dysfunction because, if I'm not mistaken, Adam, Omar Khan, who's the assistant general manager with the Pittsburgh Steelers, was the one that the search firm that they had hired recommended. It looked like he was going to get the job, and then at the last second, Casario ends up with the job. A lot of people think it was Easterby and that New England connection. What happened there, and what do we know about Casario and what his role is going to be in trying to smooth things over with Deshaun Watson, potentially? Well, it's it's interesting because you have the James Harden trade, and Steven Silas comes to take that job, and he's got to be thinking right now, this isn't what I signed up for. I signed up to coach not only James Harden, but Russell Westbrook, and they're traded within two months of me taking the job. Um, I wonder if Nick Casario is wondering the same thing. Now, if what we're led to believe is true in that second piece that Sports Illustrated wrote a few days ago, um, Nick Casario is here in part because Jack Easterby got in in the muck. He, he got in the middle of things again. And if you were going down the road as far as having contract negotiations with Omar Khan, where you're talking numbers and years and dollars and how you're going to go about doing things, and then you revert course and you go off the page, literally off the script, because you spent anywhere from 100000 to a $1 million. I think Mike Florio said it was $600,000 that Cal McNair and Janice McNair spent on Corn Ferry, the search firm, which I think is dumb to begin with because you can just Google these names that these guys came up with, but you didn't even use any of those names that they, that they came up with so that you could hire this guy that you originally uh, got in trouble for tampering with a year prior, and Jack Easterby is the cause of that. It's like Nick Casario is going to be thinking, all right, I got the gig, but how much, how much control do I really have if Jack Easterby decides that I know we're friends, but I'm the I'm the next target for him to keep his job here. Because again, if you read that article, that's how Nick Casario got to Houston is Jack Easterby wanted to keep his position because he knew that the minute Omar Khan got into NRG Stadium's offices, he was going to be kicked out unceremoniously on his backside. Um, that's gotta be in the back of your mind. And if I'm if I'm a media member and I get the chance to ask Cal McNair a question right now, I want to know who's really in charge. I want to know what, who's making the decision, who's making the final say as far as personnel. Because all he's told us about is how Jack Easterby wasn't going to be part of that, that whole thing unfolding. And all we've seen is more and more Jack Easterby involvement. So if you're Nick Casario, you're probably treading lightly. And that makes the coaching hire all the more fascinating, especially when you, uh, when you enter in the Deshaun Watson situation on top of it. Adam, if it makes you feel any better as a Texans fan, 
Corn Ferry is the search firm that produced John Idzik for the New York Jets as a general manager. And let's just say the results were very, very bad. So you may have dodged a bullet there inadvertently by all the dysfunction that's going on in Houston by not having their preferred candidate become the general manager. But as I said, dysfunction is the name of the game in Houston right now. And this is where Deshaun Watson comes in because... By all accounts, he was supposed to be in on who the next head coach was going to be. He had recommended that the Texans speak to Eric Bieniemy. He had recommended that the Texans speak to Robert Sala. And while at first it looked like they weren't going to speak to Eric Bieniemy, they did eventually reverse course and do a Zoom interview with him. They never spoke to Robert Sala. Deshaun Watson apparently getting angrier and angrier. It was said that he was upset when they traded DeAndre Hopkins to the Cardinals for basically nothing. Now it seems like he's hitting the tipping point. There are reports that he may formally request a trade soon. Friends of his are saying that he wants out. There's all these indications that he would like to go play somewhere else. Take us through this whole saga, how this built up with Deshaun Watson and where we're at right now. Well, I think, first of all, I want to address what a lot of people are are getting wrong when it comes to this whole part of the Texans drama because there are several different elements at play here. Um, I hear a lot of, and I see this on Twitter and I've seen this in national media and even a little bit in local media. I definitely hear it from people who are still drinking somehow the Texans Kool-Aid. I think a lot of them, but they're like, well, why does Deshaun Watson get a say? Why is he being a petulant child? Why is he being a baby? Why is he being a crybaby about this? Uh, it's not, his job to hire the GM or the head coach. It's not his job. That's all true. But the problem that a lot of people are, it's like uh, a lot of people say the love of, uh, they say that money is the root of all evil, right? Well, it's actually the love of money is the root of all evil. So it changes that phrase. If you just omit that one word, well, if you omit the little small detail that the Texans told Deshaun Watson, he was going to have a say in things. It changes the whole perspective. You can't tell somebody that you can't go up to a child and and promise them a cookie and then get upset with them when they start throwing a fit because you didn't give them the cookie that you cannot do that. You, You can't you can't tell Deshaun Watson, the franchise quarterback, literally the only part of your organization that makes it worth anything more than spit right now, that he's going to have a say so in one of the most important couple of hires in the history of the the franchise and then have him find out about one of those hires on social media while he's on vacation and have and expect him to act anything other than what he's been acting like. And you go back to the Andre Hopkins deal that you mentioned. I honestly thought he would be a lot more upset because you didn't have an offensive line this year. I don't care how good Laramie Tunsil was. You didn't have a lot, an offensive line. Deshaun Watson was getting killed. He was having to be a magician on the fly. You took away, uh, elements of a defense that was already bad and gave up that 21 or 24 nothing lead to the Kansas City Chiefs uh, on the road during the playoffs last year and then you're going to take his best weapon and trade him for the carcass of David Johnson <laughs> and you're going to go out and pay other receivers the same amount of money that you could have just given to DeAndre Hopkins to make him happy with an extension and Deshaun just kind of rolls with it but then you're going to do this with the GM search and expect him to not lash out I don't know what people expect Deshaun Watson to do in that scenario. It's, I think it's what any one of us would have done had we been told, hey, you're going to be a part of this decision-making, except for that you're not when you know, the rubber meets the road. And, th- and that's why he's upset right now, and I honestly don't blame him. Do you think this can be repaired, or is it too far gone? 
I, I think it is hard. Here's what I think on that. I don't know if it can be repaired. That that is a broken trust thing multiple times. Plus, you're just you're still trotting out Jack Easterby every day that he's in that building is a bad day to be a Texan employee fan. Whatever. Um, what I do think is on the side of the Texans and their fans is it's so hard to force a trade in the NFL. It, it just really is for the player. I mean. Now, he's got a no-trade clause, so that automatically gives him a ton more leverage than he would have had. I'm sure you've seen Reggie Bush's tweets. Um, I'm sure you've seen Andre Johnson's tweet and his his Instagram post later that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not the same as the NBA. Like, the, the minute James Harden demanded a trade to the Nets, by the way, not only did I think he would eventually get traded, I figured it would be the Nets because that's how things work in the NBA. The NFL is very much different. The NBA, the players largely run that thing. The NFL, the owners way more run things than the players do. But like I said, Deshaun does have some leverage in this situation. And Deshaun, again, is the only thing that that makes the Texans even remotely relevant right now. And he's one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL. And there are several teams around the league that are probably a Deshaun Watson away from making a dynasty-type run, not just a run to a Super Bowl, but – Put Deshaun Watson in a well-organized franchise situation, cut out all the red tape and riffraff and noise that's going on down here in Houston, and watch what he can do when he is surrounded by good players and a good organizational structure. He led the league in passing with the Texans this year, but they were 4-12 and because the rest of the roster was so abysmal, um, you just shake your head at it. It, it, it. I mean, it stands the reason that you put a guy who was able to put up those numbers – this past year in a winning environment, I mean, he's going to flourish. I think that's a, that's almost too basic of a, of a premise to talk about, but it's true. If anybody isn't familiar with the tweet that Adam just referenced from Andre Johnson, here's what he said. He said, if I'm Deshaun Watson, I will stand my ground. The Texans organization is known for wasting players' careers. I guess Andre Johnson himself would know that well. Since Jack Easterby has walked into the building, nothing good has happened in or for the organization. And for some reason, someone can't seem to see what's going on. That's pathetic. Obviously, the someone he's referring to is the aforementioned Cal McNair, the owner. Adam, do you think that if the Texans hire the right head coaching candidate, it's a possibility that Casario and that coach can sit down with Deshaun Watson and say, look, I know you're frustrated, but we're both new. We're trying to get this off the ground. Forget about the noise. Don't worry about Easter beer, the owner. We got this. We're going to be running the football part of this. Trust us and find a way to get Deshaun Watson to buy back in. Um, I, I'm not sure because if what, what has been reported is true, the only way the Texans could convince him to stay is if the owner fire, fires the owner. <laughs> and if once you've reached – now, again – Deshaun Watson has not publicly made that trade uh, request. Once he does that, there's probably no turning back. And so you have that going for you, I guess. But that's the task that Nick Casario is up to. And, and you got to think, too, are you hiring Eric Bieniemy just because of, of, of appeasing Deshaun Watson? Because now you're in a different slippery slope. This is like a pathological liar whose lies keep creating more problems in his life. You know, the first lie he told was to his wife. So now he's got marriage problems, but now he's got financial problems because of the marriage problems. And now he's got problems with his kids because of that. Like it's tentacles that keep going. 
because you keep making one dumb decision that leads to another. And if you hire a, a head coach simply because you're trying to placate a player, you're already putting yourself behind the eight ball as far as having real organizational success. Because now that coach is always going to wonder whether he was hired for the right reasons. He's going to go in um, with you know, less than 100% confidence into that position, just like what's happened with Nick Casario. Nick Casario cannot sit there and say, well, I have with 100% certainty all confidence that I was hired because the, of the right reasons for this job. He just can't. It, there's no way you can, you, you can maybe be 99%, but there's no way if he's honest with himself, he can say that. It's going to be the same with Eric Bieniemy. And then what do you do? If it doesn't work out, which it might not, because you got to also remember, the Texans don't have a first-round draft pick. The Texans don't have a second-round draft pick. And the draft pick that they did have for this year would have been the number three pick overall. And it's going to the Miami Dolphins, which is a rumored destination preference for Deshaun Watson. So it's not as easy as just, well, I'm going to come in here and clean up this mess and hope Cal stays out of it and Jack Easterby is locked in a broom closet so I don't have to deal with him. You've got real problems before you even deal with this stupid high school drama going on. So it's just a mess. They make it so hard to pull for them. And it's, it's sad because we're sitting smack dab in the middle of Texas. Football is God here. It is a religion. And it just shouldn't be that hard to have the city of Houston eating out of the palm of your hand. The Rockets and the Astros have to literally win a championship to get anybody's attention here. The Texans fart and it makes front page headlines. <laughs> That's how it is in Texas. And he still is managing to screw it up. And, and I don't know when the fans overall will reach that breaking point, but it says something that you have fans that would prefer Bud Adams as an owner to Cal McNair if indeed he screws up Deshaun Watson in that situation and Deshaun Watson is playing in another uniform next year. Multi-part question based on everything that we've talked about, Adam. The first part of this, do you think Deshaun Watson will actually get traded? The second part of this, if he does get traded, what do you think it would cost? And the third part of this, if he gets traded, where do you think he may go? It doesn't have to be one specific spot, but where are a couple of places where you could see them possibly dealing him? Okay, I, I ultimately don't think he ends up getting traded just for the reasons I mentioned. It's just very hard for that to happen in the NFL. And he's got a lot of money that he's owed, and he's just now starting the extension years of his contract. So it's, it's easier said than done. Having said that, if he does go somewhere and you think the Rockets got a haul for James Harden, which they did, by the way, mm-hmm. um, they control the, the Nets draft for basically the next seven years. You've got to get, I mean, you've got to get something that dwarfs the Harden d- deal. You've got to get something that dwarfs um, you know, the Ricky Williams deal with the Saints, the Herschel Walker deal with the Cowboys and the Vikings. This, those have to pale in comparison because the unicorn in the NFL, the Holy Grail, the thing that GMs and coaches and organizations and owners spend their whole life trying to find is a franchise quarterback that can win you games and is stable off the field as much as he is on the field. That's what you've got with Deshaun Watson. You just do. And the only reason you do is because Rick Smith uh, basically forced Bill O'Brien to finally pay attention to the quarterback position, had to trade a first rounder to go up to get him. And uh, it's been worth every bit of it. But uh, if you do trade him, I mean, it's got to, Set you up for the next decade. It just has to. Um, and, and I'm talking 
multiple, like three or more first round picks, players that can contribute right now, maybe even second round picks. It's got to be a, a treasure trove. It just has to. Um, now, leave it to the Texans. They'll probably screw that up. <laughs> but th- that's just what you have to aim for. And as far as where he would go, uh, it, it's in a weird way, it's more about what those teams could offer. I think the Jets are obviously, like you said, um, set up to offer something very nice as far as a package for him. I, I think, ironically, if he were to go to Miami, you're getting that number three pick back for sure, and you're probably getting Tua. Um, I, but I don't know. I have no idea where he would go. I, I, if I'm him, I want to go to a place where I can win, and I don't have to be the sole reason that I'm doing that. But I also don't know if that if those locations would be a place that could offer the Texans what they want uh, by way of the draft picks and where they would actually be. So, um, you know, first round picks that are low are still far more valuable in the NFL than they are in say the NBA. That's why the, the hardened comparison is kind of, you know, not really doesn't really work that well here. I just used it to say, you've got to get a, a Godfather type deal to even consider moving a guy at the caliber of Deshaun Watson. The interesting component of this, Adam, is that any team that would potentially trade for Deshaun Watson has to satisfy both Houston's trade demands and Deshaun Watson because Watson's got that no trade clause. So if this does come to fruition, things get very interesting because a team is going to have to thread the needle there and be able to fit into both of the categories I just mentioned and be acceptable to both the Texans and Watson himself This is a story that I have a feeling is not going to go away anytime soon, and it's going to be something that you and I are probably going to have a lot more discussions about down the line. Adam Clanton, co-host of the A-Team weekdays from 3 to 6 Central Time on Sports Talk 790, one of the best there is, certainly tops in the Houston market. So if you want the pulse of what's going on there and you want to know what people think from the other side of things with Deshaun Watson, with James Harden, and even the Astros, because a lot of Yankees fans still have some ill will towards the Astros, as I'm sure you can imagine, Adam, make sure that you check out his show. Adam, if people want to find you on social media and get more info on you, how can they do that? Yeah, I am at Adam Clanton. It's, uh, you know, A-D-A-M-C-L-A-N-T-O-N. That's my Twitter handle. Um, same with uh, Instagram. You just put an underscore under my two names. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I, I'm on from uh, 3 to 6 p.m. Central each and every weekday. You can find uh, the A-Team on the Sports Talk 790 channel on the iHeartRadio app. It's free to download. Um, and, yes, I am aware of Yankees fans. They are a delight. <laughs> deal with on Twitter. They love me. There's a picture of me from 2014 and I'm at Yankee stadium and it's, uh, it, it might be 2015. I can't remember which year it was, whatever. What was Jeter's last year as a Yankee 2014? Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm there at, at new Yankee stadium during his last week. It wasn't his last game, but it was his last week, uh, as a Yankee. And I've always been a, a Jeter fan, but I hate the Yankees. But I'm a Jeter fan, so I'm at Yankee Stadium for the first time. So I go with a friend of mine, and I buy a Yankees T-shirt and hat, and I take a picture of it. And somebody dug that up, and it's been floating around Twitter ever since the (laughs) Astros and Yankees started clashing in the postseason. And people actually think that that hurts me when they post it. (laughs) I just laugh because it's like, nah, it's just a shirt and a hat. Anybody that knows me knows where my uh, loyalty lies. And uh, it's like the other day, I trolled, I trolled the Texans a little bit because I threw on a Patrick Mahomes jersey, and my little, my little boy had a matching one on because uh, my wife's originally from Kansas City, and his nana is a huge 
Chiefs fans. So I'm married into that situation. I, you know, just because I wear a, a shirt of another team doesn't mean I'm not Houston through and through. So I'm easy to find. Uh, I'll probably give you a little bit back if you come after me on Twitter, but it's all in good fun. And uh, it, it's, it's fascinating. What we do uh, for a living is not work. It's, it's a lot of fun. At the end of the day, it's not that serious. But, man, the Texans sure are stupid right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope that they continue to be stupid. No offense, Adam, but as Jets fans, we want them to continue to be stupid and maybe trade Deshaun Watson. And if they do, perhaps the Jets will be at the front of the line. We'll have to see over the next couple of weeks and months. Certainly going to be a captivating story one way or the other. Make sure that you're listening to Adam 3 to 6 weekdays Central Time on Sports Talk 790 and following him on Twitter at Adam Clanton. If you haven't given us a five-star review, on iTunes yet if you could go ahead and do that for us really appreciate it easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing doesn't take you much time doesn't cost you any money but it goes a long way to help us out so if you could go ahead and do that for us we'd be quite grateful and for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts you know where to go that's turn on the Jets digital and turn on the Jets.com. <laughs>